Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us to listen to this message. Whoever you are and wherever you're listening from, we trust that you'll be equipped, envisioned and encouraged as you listen today. welcome you this morning if you're, if you're from Living Rock in the UK or if you're from Living Rock in Kenya or, or if you're a guest amongst us this morning or if you're listening uh, from one of the 92 countries that regularly access our website, listen to our podcasts, uh, welcome to you as well. And I want to start with a couple of um, favorite texts. I know you shouldn't have those, but I have. Um, one's an old favorite and one's a new favorite. And the old favorite is in Matthew 9. So if you turn there, please. And uh, the new favorite is in Joshua 3, verse 15. And my title this morning is Bursting Our Banks. Bursting Our Banks. The first text, Matthew 9, is um, this text really fires our conviction. It describes the kingdom of God, the realm of Jesus, overpowering the domain of darkness. Matthew 9, verse 35. Then Jesus went to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Summoning his 12 disciples, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to drive them out and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Jesus sent out these 12 after giving them instructions. Don't take... Uh, the road leading into other nations. Don't enter any Samaritan town. Instead, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, announce this. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those with skin diseases. Drive out demons. You have received free of charge. Give free of charge. And if you turn back into Joshua Chapter 3, that first text surely captures our heart and our burden, our sense of mission and ministry, assures us of an abundant harvest, tells us multitudes are ready. And this second text, my new favorite, um, is an instruction for us and simply says this. Now the Jordan overflows its banks throughout the harvest season. Or in the Amplified Bible it says, the Jordan overflows all its banks. 
throughout the harvest time. Over the summer, as we've been uh, coming into our preparing, that's bad, isn't it? Over the summer, preparing for autumn. We weren't really doing that. But, but during the summer, as we were anticipating this time together, uh, now we're all sort of back together. Um, particularly thinking about that second verse. The Jordan overflows its banks throughout the harvest season. We, we were reminded that God guarantees uh, forevermore, as long as, the, as long as the earth prevails, there will be harvest time. And Jesus um, takes a, a, spiritual, um, a spiritual application of, of that, and he says it, it's harvest time now, all the time. The fields are white for harvest now. And so during this time, this now time, if I could put it this way, the Jordan, which represents for us life and healing and resurrection and coming into God's promises, the Jordan, which represents a double portion of anointing. If you look at all the times, the Jordan is, is described as the place of something happening in the Scriptures. At this time, life and resurrection and anointing and coming into promises, the hope of God at this time, healing and cleansing, should be overflowing all the banks because it's harvest time. This weekend has been uh, dedicated in, in, in terms of our theme to, to mission and harvest because, folks, there is no higher priority. If we claim to be charismatic, then we must understand that the whole, the whole thrust and direction of the Holy Spirit is outwards from the church into the world. I was so blessed yesterday with the, uh, with the workshops. Thank you, Beth. Thank you, Dave. Thanks, uh, Megan and Amelia. Uh, helping us to consider some simple principles for letting our own individual lives overflow every day. And today I want to share things that I hope will help us consider corporately, together, as a people, as a body together, how we can together overflow, burst our banks as we enter a new season, as, as we enter a new phase together in our expansion, in our impact, and elsewhere as we become an apostolic base together. And today I believe there will be many things happening in an invisible realm. As we make some statements, as we declare some things, as we believe some things, as we express faith for some things, as we make decisions about some things, as we, as we hear and embrace what the Spirit is saying to us this morning, that as well as what happens on earth, there'll be some adjustments in other realms. I hope you understand what I'm saying there. When, um, when Kerry spoke uh, to us as elders, we went to see him to share um, our convictions about the emergence of, of apostolic ministry here. He said, he said, this will be a quantum shift for all of you. A quantum shift. Hope you're keeping up with me. Yes, you are. Well done. A quantum shift. And that, that phrase has, has resonated in my own mind. And, and um, I think it means something like this, according to the dictionary. A quantum shift, a quantum movement is a sudden, 
highly significant advance or a breakthrough or a transition from one state of things to another. A quantum shift. And what's about to happen amongst us will be the greatest opportunity, and I don't say this lightly, will be the greatest opportunity we have ever faced together. It's time for us corporately to experience great harvest, great overflow of the life that we carry. We'll share some more specifics about that later in the year. But, but I just want you to have that as the, not just the backdrop, but, but the present context for everything we're sharing. I think um, perhaps there are two types of church, two perspectives, two views, two approaches. The, the first type, what I'll call the containers, the retainers, those that prefer to stay in holding back, keeping safe, preserving what they have, convinced that the world might infect the church. The other type are the, the poorers, the givers, the sharers, those, those whose heart is to go out, uh, where there is purposeful leakage, spilling over, overflow, who know the church is here to infect the world. And, and, and you know as well as I do, we have, we, there, we have no permission to be the first type. Our whole design, our whole destiny is to be outward looking, is to be missional, is to be overflowing our banks with life because it's harvest time now. And in this age we're in that, um, where culture is so secular... And where politics are so unpredictable. And where people are so insecure. And where personal identity is so confused. And where public morality is so unhinged from biblical ethics. Where concepts of nation and family and marriage, which were so anchored, have been ripped up and ripped apart and and redefined. In, in this age, that first type probably has something to say, but, but, has, but has no voice. Nobody's listening. What the world needs now is... There's a number of ways you can, you can finish that statement. What the world needs now is fantastic, well-built churches who love the Word and the Spirit, who are filled with fantastic people who love the world, whose new lives are dedicated to overflowing with love and truth and grace. Richard, I think a a couple of weeks ago, um, took us through some of the river imagery, and I loved the videos yesterday. Wasn't that fantastic? The different expressions of overflow. But, but you, we're familiar with the, with the river imagery, the powerful imagery that runs from the start to the end. In Genesis, we find this river flowing from Eden to water the earth. In Ezekiel, we find the river is flowing from the temple, carrying life wherever it flows with, with trees along the side that are for food and healing. 
When we reach the end in Revelation 22, the river is flowing from the throne with a tree of life for healing the nations. That, that, that imagery un, unmistakably, without question, tells us that God's purpose is a river of life flowing from his presence into the whole earth. Surely, that, surely the river is a picture of the church carrying life. Carrying life, carrying healing, carrying food, carrying, carrying goodness for the nations, carrying divine life into the world. And, um, you know, rivers are good all the time. All the time. God, God created rivers. Rivers are good all the time. Rivers carry and sustain life. Rivers water the earth. Rivers fertilize the trees that, that bear fruit and give healing. Rivers are good all the time, folks. But... A river in flood, bursting its banks, is a different, bigger, better proposition altogether. I believe God wants to lift us into something bigger, something more powerful, something more impacting. For years, Living Rock Church has carried life, has fed and watered hundreds has done good in its communities, has created growth, has discipled many. Uh, if you, to carry on that image, we've, we've grown from, from a couple of trickles into a couple of streams. We've merged into a small river. Uh, we've developed some tributaries. Sometimes we've flowed more quickly. Other times the flow has been more slow. I hope we've not meandered too much. Overall, we've been, we've been a good river. We've been a good, clean, healthy, steady river. But now it's harvest time. And it's quantum shift time. And it's great opportunity time. And it's high time we burst our banks. And I want us to stop and think. First of all, just to stop and think what happens just in the physical, in the natural, what happens when a river bursts its banks? What are some of the the physical results, the, the effects or the, the impacts, what happens physically and naturally when a river bursts its banks because some of those, some of those um, features will help us consider something in a spiritual realm. So have your turn your imagination on right now, okay? Turn your imagination up, up high. Imagination, that's a good thing. Um, here, here's some thoughts. Um, first of all, I think power is released. Things that have been held back, contained, things that have been constrained are released when a river bursts its banks. Dams burst, banks are broken. Um, I, I was never very good at physics, but I think some potential energy, some stored up energy becomes Kinetic energy, movement energy. There's great motion, there's great movement, there's, there's increased momentum. When a river bursts its banks, power is released. When a river bursts its banks, the valley is flooded. The water goes everywhere. The surrounding area is therefore changed. The landscape is altered. And, and much of that, folks, is unpredictable. You saw the videos. 
unpredictable, not always controllable, unexpected, possibly a bit messy, certainly a bit messy. Power is released, the valley is flooded, and here's a third thing that happens, new channels are opened up. New channels are opened up because because the overflowing water inevitably finds its own way. Finds its own roots, its own paths. New connections are made. New streams cut new shapes in the landscape as the overflowing water finds its way around obstacles. Finds the quickest way across the valley. New channels are opened up. And there's inevitably more space for everything. Things contained in that small space within those banks find greater expression. Things spread out. Things find the water finds its own room, finds its own space. And then, fifthly, good things get carried away. The overflow and the new channels take the life that's in that water, the nutrients, the water, the health, take that life wherever they go. And because of that, new things start to grow because the river carries life and that life is overflowing and bursting its banks and what was dead or drying in the valley starts to come alive again. I love the picture of the the little shoots around the Nile. New things come to life and and some old things come back to life as well. Folks, is it possible that we could burst our banks? Is it possible that we could burst our banks? Is it possible that that our life, our life, could overflow with that kind of impact? Could we do that here and now in the 21st century? Interaction's good. I believe we can. I I, I know the kingdom of God, and and I need you to be very vocal in your response here, folks. This is important. This is part of creating something in another realm. I know the kingdom of God is good news for all men in all places at all times. I know the kingdom of God is God's total answer to mankind's total need. The kingdom of God. And I know it's not hard for us to have a huge impact in the Midlands, in the UK, in Kenya, in other nations, in our day. God asks a rhetorical question in Isaiah 66. Can a nation be born in a day? Yes, it can. Will Jesus have the nations as his inheritance? Yes, he will. Will he return to a bride made ready? Yes, he will. Can I honestly imagine our church breaking its banks and overflowing in the way we've just described? Absolutely. Have I seen it before? Not fully. But I've caught enough glimpses, enough glimpses to know it's God's longing for us. About 10 years ago, maybe longer, Deborah and I visited a a poor neighborhood in Chicago at Kerry's um, invitation and suggestion. 
where one small church was having such an impact in this neighborhood that dozens and dozens of prostitutes were rescued, dozens of young men were saved out of gang life, hundreds of addicts were being restored, crime was falling, employment was rising. A few years ago, when Anna was with us, we saw 60 decisions for Christ in 30 days. We experienced daily edition. In fact, we, we experienced double daily edition. 14 days ago, we were on holiday and visited a church that was committed to reaching the unchurched, where 26,000 people attend every Sunday morning. I've seen enough glimpses. When God moves by his spirit, nothing is impossible. It's happened before, it will happen again, and it can happen here and now, folks. But my total confidence comes from the word. Above all things. Because um, I believe it's, it's, um, it's no harder in our postmodern, post-Christian, 21st century than it ever was in the pre-modern, pre-Christian, first century for this church to have that kind of impact. The New Testament was not some kind of golden age in which it was much easier to reach the world than it is now. That's, that, is, that is very faulty thinking. The New Testament age was very similar to our own. And the New Testament age is precisely the age the Spirit has given us to settle our convictions and to stir our zeal and to fire our imaginations. I want you to think about some of these um, first century cities with me for a moment. Jerusalem had been the capital of of the Old Testament um, nation of Israel, Zion, the golden city, Zion, David's city. But by the time we come to the first century, it had long since been conquered and ruled by first Persians and then Macedonians and then the Romans. And the church in Jerusalem faced threat and persecution from, uh, from Jews, from fellow Jews and from the Roman authorities. And in that place, there was the challenge of religion, the challenge of authorities and powers, the challenge of intimidation. What about Antioch? In that city, a major commercial city, founded by the Greeks, became the most important city in the Eastern Roman Empire, with a population of half a million in the first century. Similarly, Thessalonica in Macedonia, a, a great big vital trading center on this, this huge Roman highway that, uh, that went out to the east. And there, in those cities, you had the challenges of materialism and, and priorities and wealth. Or what about Rome in the first century? The largest city in the world with, with, with estimated million inhabitants the epicenter of the most powerful empire probably ever, in which, in the Roman Empire, were, were 20% of the world's population. 
in that day were part of the Roman Empire. And the church in that place had all the good and all the bad of Roman culture in its face on full display. All the literature, all the art, all the music, all the education, and all the slavery, all the pagan worship, all the idolatry, all the prostitution, all the homosexuality, all the sexual license. In that city was the challenge of paganism, of promiscuity, of immorality. These were challenging environments to live out your faith. Challenging environments to to stay fresh, to stay strong, to to witness to family and friends and neighbors. So what happened to the churches in those places? Did they hold back? Did they play it safe? Did they preserve what they had? Did they bury the treasure? Did they conserve the blessing? Were they convinced that the world might infect the church? No way. Or did they overflow? I'm glad you asked me. I want to take you folks on a, on a real whistle-stop tour through the back, book of Acts. I want to read some passages that will help us. So if you turn with me, I think the scriptures will be behind me. Acts 1. We're going to literally from Acts 1 to Acts 28, taking a few little portions of scripture that tell us about those four places. Here's the story. And this is where it starts. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. And tongues like flames of fire were divided, that were divided appeared on them and rested on each one of them. And then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different languages as the Spirit gave them ability for speech. And there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and was confused because each one um, of them heard them speaking in his own language. And they were astounded and amazed, saying, look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those living in Mesopotamia, in Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Just hold that word in your head, Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking. In our language, the magnificent acts of God. Verse 41. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. Verse 47. Praising God and holding favor with all the people, and every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. Jump to Acts 8. Verse 1, Saul agreed with putting him to death, and on that day a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria, 
But devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. And Saul, however, was ravaging the church. And he would enter house after house, dragging off men and women to put them in prison. So those who were scattered went on their way, proclaiming the message of good news. Chapter 11, verse 19. Those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the message to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, Cypriot and Cyrenian men, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Hellenists, the Greeks, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them. And a large number who believed turned to the Lord And then the report about them reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. And when he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with a firm resolve of the heart. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And large numbers of people were added to the Lord. And then Barnabas went to Tarsus to search for Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught large numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Chapter 13. In the local church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius, the Cyrenian, Manaean, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them to. And then after they had uh, fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. Chapter 14, verse 23. When they'd appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting... They committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. And then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And after they spoke the message in Perga, they went down to Italia. Don't worry too much about the place names. And from there, they sailed back to Antioch, where they'd been entrusted to the grace of God for the work they'd completed. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they reported everything God had done with them and that he'd opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent considerable time with the disciples Now turn with me to chapter 17. This is the second trip. That was the the, the beginning and end of the first ministry trip. Chapter 17. And then they traveled through um, Amphipolis and Apollonia and came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. And as usual, Paul went to them and on three Sabbath days reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and showing that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead, and saying, this is the Messiah, Jesus, who I'm proclaiming to you. And then some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, including a great number of God-fearing Jews, as well as a number of the leading women. But the Jews became jealous, and when they'd brought together some scoundrels from the marketplace, wow, and formed a mob, they set the city in an uproar. After attacking Jason's house, they searched for them to bring them out to the public assembly. And when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of his brother, the brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men 
who've turned the world upside down have come here too, and Jason has received them as guests. And they're all acting contrary to Caesar's decrees, saying that there's another king, Jesus. The Jews stirred up the crowd and the city officials who heard these things, and so taking a security bomb from Jason and the others, they released them. And then they essentially get run out of town. Turn with me now, finally, to chapter 28. Nearly there. Chapter, verse 14, second half. So we came to Rome. And now the believers from there had heard the news about us and had come to meet us as far as Forum of Apuleius and the three taverns. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. When we entered Rome, Paul was permitted to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. And then verse 30, he stayed two whole years in his own rented house and he welcomed all who visited him, and he proclaimed the kingdom of God and teaching the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with full boldness and without hindrance. It's a tremendous story. I'd really encourage you to read it through properly, fully, over these next few weeks. It starts in Jerusalem. 120 believers waiting for Pentecost, and they're all filled to overflowing by the Holy Spirit. And immediately... 15 other nations hear the magnificent acts of God. Did you notice that? In their own language. That's overflow. Sharing good news in a language the world can understand. Thousands were saved. The church was established in power and health and life. And a new community was formed. But it's a community that never lost sight of the other community outside. A new community that never lost sight. And people were added every day. And that is overflow. It was the first church. It was led by the first apostles who immediately recalled their first experience of mission. Matthew 9, Matthew 10, when they were sent out into the harvest fields with authority to establish the kingdom of God and to defeat the domain of darkness. And when that church was persecuted... The members simply preached wherever they went. This is overflow, folks. This is a church bursting its banks. And it's here in the scriptures to provoke us. 300 miles up the road in Antioch, a church had formed because men who had heard the overflow of Pentecost, men from Cyrene and Cyprus, were added to that church in Jerusalem and then scattered by the persecution. And when they arrived in Antioch, they witnessed to Greeks. That's overflow. And because God loves overflow, the Lord's hand was with them. Great numbers turned to the Lord. And when Barnabas and Saul came, large numbers were taught and saved. It goes on to say, we didn't read this, that they they then took up this great big offering to send to Jerusalem. That's overflow. And then they outgrew their locality. Listen carefully, folks. The Lord saw that what they had needed to go further afield. What was in Antioch needed to go much further. So by the direction of the Spirit, they recognized and released the apostles Barnabas and Saul. And more churches were planted and more things were established. That was overflow. That was a church bursting its banks. And it's here in the Word to instruct us. 
on the second journey, an amazing thing happened in, in, in uh, Thessalonica. Sport, Paul spoke in Thessalonica for just three Saturdays. Three Sabbaths. And then they get run out of town. They're men who've turned the world upside down. Um, what happens at that point? Does the church get derailed? Does it go underground? Does it scale back to avoid more trouble? No, it doesn't. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. Because this church had such a firm foundation, even in three weeks of teaching, that Paul could write to them and say this. Verse 7. Verse 5. Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with much assurance. You know what kind of men we were among you for your benefit, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, when, in spite of severe persecution... You welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. As a result, you became an example or a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith has gone. Hold that thought. Every place your faith has gone. They became a model. This is overflow. This is a church bursting its banks. This is in here to inspire us. And then finally in Rome, what about the church at the heart of this huge promiscuous pagan empire? Surely here they kept their heads down and focused on building community rather than reaching out. No, they didn't. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans 1, verse 7. To all who are in Rome, loved by God, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because the news of your faith is being reported in all the world. That's a church bursting its banks. That's overflow, and that is there, here in the Word, to encourage us. These were fantastic, authentic, well-built churches who loved the Word and the Spirit, who were filled with great people whose new lives were dedicated to overflowing with with love and truth and grace. These are spirit-filled, apostolically-founded, bank-bursting churches who loved where they lived and ultimately converted the whole Roman church empire to a Christian faith. How incredible is that? How amazing is that? And that's how they handled the challenges of the first century. Folks, it's not hard for us to have an impact on a scale way beyond all our experience and way beyond probably all our imagination. In fact, it's exactly what the Spirit is stirring for us right now. A quantum shift. A quantum shift from one discrete state to another is coming our way. It's coming to speed us up. It's coming to spread us out because God knows we've fulfilled only a fraction of our potential and our destiny. We're a good, clean, healthy river. Praise God. But in community transforming in nation impacting, 
in world-changing terms, it's high time we burst our banks. I really believe we can do it. Do you believe we can do it? I want to just, just draw things together by, by just sharing for you some of what I see for our new phase. Firstly, power being released. A shift in the spirit realm. Things that have been held back and contained and restrained amongst us all, good things, God-given things, will be released. When Kerry's here on the 4th of November to lay hands on me to recognize apostolic ministry, it will be far more significant possibly than any of us realize. There will be quantum shifts in the heavenly realms. There will be amongst us new authority amongst us. Heightened angelic uh, intervention. God's people empowered. Barriers, obstacles removed so it's easier for all of us to flow outwards. To reach the lost, to see great fruit. Latent, stored up, potential energy becoming kinetic energy, movement, new ways, new initiatives. And all I can say on this, because I'm not sure I fully understand it, is get ready to feel a greater outward thrust. Get ready to experience something. I'm not talking about something flaky, something, you know, um, magical. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying, in what's happening, there will be a shift. Amen. Secondly, the valley being flooded. A greater, wider impact. Everyone in our valley, in our region, in our sphere, within our reach, feeling the effects I don't want to scare anybody here, or um, I'm, going to address, I'm going to address the other side of this in a moment, but um, the youth and kids ministry is going to explode. And, um, and, and the CAP life skills, which, which begins, the second course begins in Barwell on Thursday, that will grow. And uh, Christine, IFC will, will grow even wider. More nations will be reached. Mumstop will have a wider impact. The Lunch Club, which, which starts October is going to reach hundreds of people. Um, we're going to, beginning, well, beginning now, already begun in many ways, to monthly, um, monthly be reaching into the north of our region, the south of our region, the, the east of our region, east of our region as you look, and the west of our region on Sunday afternoons so that we're reaching into the north, into the Colville area. On the first Sunday of every month in the afternoon, the next one of those is on the 7th of October, uh, in the south, uh, who knows, maybe into Nuneaton, maybe into um, uh, other places in that sort of district, and, and that will begin next year. Into the eastern area, somewhere in Northamptonshire, again next year. Into the west of our area, into Tamworth, already started, fourth Sunday of the month. Well, starts this next Sunday. I would like you to join one of those expressions. North, south, east, or west. You choose. Probably the one you live near. 
How about between us, we all support one of those every month? Put this practical. Choose a place and join us once a month. Our profile erased across the region. And, and I trust that in, in all the valley, we will really be known for our warmth, for our love, for our kindness, for our hope. A good river now bursting its banks with an impact that's not all planned, not all predicted, not all controlled, at times messy. I told you it would be like that, okay? But that'll be God's order. For me, what God's spoken to me is, is, is about some of the things are about battles on new grounds in new territories, bearing a torch in some places of darkness. I don't know yet what that looks like, but that sounds like the depths of the valley. What's in here needs to go much further. To every place, our faith, not even our shoes, not even our cars, every place our faith can reach to. A huge valley loved to life by this church. Um, Louise, Warren, where are you? Louise, I just really felt in praying this weekend that Oaks is going to have a major impact. Thirdly, new channels will be opening up. New channels opening up. The overflowing life will find its own roots, its own paths, new connections, new joinings. There'll be a new shape in the landscape. I know churches will come to me. Churches will come to us. The Lord's spoken about Nottinghamshire. We've carried a, a heart for Leamington Spa for over a decade. And Northamptonshire. I know my apostolic work is building and establishing and planting and sometimes replanting, repotting in good soil, on good foundations. There'll be new congregations in new places, a much wider sphere and many other nations. There'll be more space for everything. It'll be bigger, but it won't be more complex. Please. Bigger, but simpler. Say more about that over the next couple of weeks as well, particularly about how we see the groups developing. We want to say more about that next Sunday. Good things will be carried away. There'll be an outflow from a sent people in this place. And and, and I, I hope you can grasp some of what I'm saying here. This church will become an apostolic base. An apostolic house. A hub. And we will know what it is to... We'll understand what that means and there'll be more sending of teams and ministries and resources that will flow out from here to the Midlands, the UK and the nations. There'll be, we'll know what it is to serve the wider body more with our people, with our leadership, with our revelation. We'll know what it is to be more showing a model, a base, where others can come and find life and see foundations laid and, and see something built with clarity and structure, to see a body that works and a leadership that's in harmony. A giving, generous church where th- from whom things are flowing outwards. And all this means new life, new things starting to grow because our river, which carries life, is bursting its banks and overflowing. And I just want to remind you, you were heading towards a thousand people. It's a new phase, folks. It's a quantum shift for all of us. 
This is a river of opportunity, and I, for one, want to be baptized in it by full immersion. Amen. So, I'm glad you asked me how you can throw yourself into the river. You were about to ask me that, weren't you? Hands up if you were about to say, how can I be baptized in this river? Come on, hands up. How many of you said, how, many, how, how can I be sprinkled with a little bit from the edges? Go home. How can we be baptized in this bank-bursting river? Well, Romans 12 has this scripture, and it says, present your bodies as living sacrifices. Do you know, I, I believe my whole body, <clears throat> as stunning as it is, <laughs> amen, um, my whole body, and yours as well, <laughs> was created and designed for missionary work. That's why we're here. That's why the sun shines in the daytime, the moon shines at night. It's to, it's to enlighten the earth for mankind to reach the ends of the earth. So, so let me appeal to four parts of your body, and I bet you're guessing which ones they are, unless it's come up already. There you go. Nothing to be scared of. It's just those four parts. Your minds. Allow your mindset, your thinking, your perspective to be renewed. Let the Holy Spirit fill you and turn you inside out. Think mission, harvest, life. Think, the title for yesterday, everyday overflow. Think everyday overflow. Don't, don't drift into this week forgetting what you heard yesterday. Think everyday overflow. This for me is about a culture of mission. And then secondly, let me appeal to, to your mouth. We have to make way more noise to tell others. Do you know, yesterday afternoon we had, I heard 280. Yeah. 250, 260. 250. 250 guests from the village joined us here in the afternoon. It tells me something. People like being here. People like us. There were more people from the village here yesterday afternoon than from the church. We'll come on to that later. We have to be way more confident in inviting people to what we do. On our Sundays, in our midweeks, to our groups, into our homes. We have to really up the game in an invitation culture. A culture of inviting we're going to help you next week with some simple little cards you can give out to all your friends that will work anywhere. We've got to be really confident in what we've got. Embrace the masses with any message they bring. Appeal to our hands. If this, if this works the way I've described, we have to really, really renew our, our volunteering. We, I'm, I'm concerned we become over-reliance, over-reliant on our staff. Yeah. Yeah. Our small church staff are not here to organize everything. They can help and they can facilitate, but we need a massive army of volunteers. Yes, 
people serving. We are short of volunteers in many areas. And, and folks, with this many people, it shouldn't be so. Mum stop is strained. Hot rot is strained. This is a battleship. If you've come for a cruise, I want you to, folks to throw yourself in. Sign up and serve. It'd be great if, if the office received dozens of phone calls this week from people saying, I don't care what it is, I'm just, I'm just here to volunteer. And fourthly, get your feet moving. Get discipled, get trained, get equipped. Get alongside an older person. Get ready now. If you're in your 20s or your 30s, we'll shortly be starting Powerhouse. Those that came to the launch event have been invited. Others in your 20s and 30s, find out about it. It commences on Saturday, the 27th of October. You can sign up on Church Suite. It's a way of training us, building a powerhouse of youth and zeal here that we can send into the world. Maybe down the line you'll be relocating to support one of our new plantings. Maybe, I hope, you'll be in one of those four places once a month on a Sunday afternoon. I want to finish with this verse. It's in Book of Numbers, and it'll be on the screen behind you. Moses said to Hobab, We're setting out for the place the Lord promised. I will give it to you. Come with us, and we will treat you well, for the Lord has promised good things to Israel. Church, we are setting out for the place the Lord is promising us. And I want to say to everybody present, guests, visitors, friends, family, church members, come with us. We will do our very best to treat you well. For the Lord has promised good things to us. In the UK, in Kenya, The Lord is promising good things. This is a quantum shift. This is the greatest opportunity that we've ever had to embrace together. There will be some changes. There may be some mess. But there's a region, there's a nation, there's a world to reach. It's harvest time. It's time for this river to burst its banks. I just want to ask you in a moment uh, simply this, to stand and affirm that whatever it means and wherever it might take you and whatever it might cost you, you're fully in. Don't stand lightly. And then we're going to pray a fresh anointing over the body here. Whatever it means, whatever it takes, Whatever it costs, Lord, I'm fully in. Amen. Amen. Um, Just in light of what David's just shared, all of it, um, I believe this is a time and a season for some people to drive a stake into the ground. And in doing that, families, individuals, it's a stake of intent. And what it's saying is, this is my home. This is where I am to be planted. This is where I give myself. And you're driving the stake in hard so it doesn't topple. 
And no more are you going to believe the lie that you're not going to be missed. Yeah. And no more are you going to believe the lie that you're not important or part of it. So this is a decision day, a day to drive a stake into the ground. It's of intent. It's of commitment. It's saying, this is where I am. This is home and this is where I give myself because I'm not going to believe that I'm not important anymore because that's a lie. Amen. As we stand before the Lord, let's lift our arms. We sang a song earlier on. We, I, I, the line was something about, I, I lift my hands as, as an offering, I think it was. Lift our hands. We've, we've come to our feet. We're lifting our hands. Why don't you just put your hands upon your head to touch your mind? And put them on your mouth. As you do so, we're saying, Lord, I'm going to, I drive a stake in to affirm that I belong. Yes. Lift my hands to you to say, I'm giving, I'm offering my body as a living sacrifice. To say, Lord, my mind, I give, my, I, 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 I decide to think about everyday overflow. I touch my mouth, Lord, to say, I decide to be somebody who invites my friends to a very attractive place because Jesus is here. To invite, to open my mouth, to be more bold, to be more confident. Lord, I lift my hands to say, um, I'm, I'm up for volunteering, for getting stuck in. Lord, I, I, I just move my feet on the floor right now to indicate my mobility a man or a woman who, who's ready to go, who's not um, entrenched or stuck in one place. Lord, we present ourselves before you. Say, baptize us, Lord, in this river that is bursting its banks. We give you all the praise and all the glory, Lord. We thank you for overflow, Lord, of our own lives personally, of our life as a church. We thank you. It's harvest time, Lord, and you're moving us into a new quantum shift season. Amen and amen, amen. Thanks for joining us today. There's so much going on at Living Rock Church, and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.